The Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is with you to talk through what you're watching, listening to, and reading. What you need to check out this weekend, what you can skip next, it's all fair game. For pop culture in high spirits, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. My name is Mary Louise Kelly, and I host NPR's All Things Considered. And I have a new book out, which is called It Goes So Fast, The Year of No Do-Overs. Mary Louise Kelly is one of the hosts of NPR's All Things Considered, and she recently released a memoir in which she reflects on motherhood, her career, and what she calls the three acts of life. It's titled, It Goes So Fast, The Year of No Do-Overs. I had the opportunity to speak with Mary Louise Kelly about how readers in all stages of life might relate to her book, and also about her controversial interview with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo back in 2020. I'm Beth Golay. From KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Marginalia. It goes so fast, the year of no do-overs. Could you give our listeners a brief description of the book and maybe how you decided to write about this topic? And I I especially like the way you describe life as having three acts. Ah, okay. Um, It goes so fast is something I find myself saying all the time as a mom, um, watching my kids grow up and they're now at the end of childhood and they're late teens and it feels like yesterday that they were in diapers and toddling around the house. Um, and I wanted to reckon with what this, you know, the end of childhood, the the last year that, you know, my oldest son was guaranteed to live under the same roof as me before he went off to college, what that looked like, what choices I was making as I tried to be true and show up for a, a family that I love and do the same for colleagues in a newsroom and, and work that I love. And some days that is way easier than others. <laughs> some days it's really not easy to the point of feeling impossible and banging my head against the wall. One of the things that you know I, I thought through was if you look at the arc of a life, if you compare that to the acts of a play, what would that look like? Um, and that answer is going to be different for each of us. For me, I kind of thought, well, where would the curtain sweep open? Let's do this chronologically. I guess act one was childhood and college and my first job and um, meeting the man who became my husband, getting married, and we bought our first house. You know, All of those big milestones in life kind of crammed into act one. Because having kids just blew everything else away. And I have a 19-year-old, so that was, you know, we're looking we're looking at two decades just about of Act Two, which has been a really exhausting act. There's not been a lot of sleep going on in Act Two, um, but there's been a lot of laughter and a lot of joy. And while I'll always, of course, you know, be a mom and have that be the the you know the thing I'm most proud of in my life. My kids don't need me all the time the way they did when they were those toddlers wandering around in diapers. They're off doing their thing. My oldest did leave home. He's off at college and I haven't seen him since December. And so I thought, okay, maybe this is, maybe we're about to sweep up the curtain on act three. I don't know what that's going to bring. And you can get, I, I will speak for myself. I have found 
myself worried at times whether Act 3 would be anticlimactic, because surely all the major milestones had already come in Acts 1 and 2. Um, so what would it look like? On the other hand, I find myself in Act 3 feeling like I kind of, sort of, maybe know what I'm doing at this point <laughs> in, in my work. And I still have the energy to show up and do it. And I have a little bit more time. And so suddenly there are all these choices and options again. Part of writing the book was wanting to be intentional about how I approach those. And, um, and really sitting and reckoning with the choices that have gotten me to this point so far. You mentioned work, and you have a good balance of, uh, you know, writing about your life and your work in your book. And I want to bring up something that happened in January of 2020. You had a controversial interview with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who is from Wichita, where we are. You detailed the yep. situation, what happened afterward, and what led you to write the op-ed piece um, in the New York Times. Pompeo called me a liar. That's not what bothers me. And in the book, you asked yourself if your speaking up made any difference. Do you have an answer to that question now? Do you think your speaking up made a difference? So let me begin this answer by saying I wish Mike Pompeo well. And I don't know what his next act will be or, or uh, where he's headed next, but I wish him well in his next chapter. And I learned a lot from the interview that he gave me that day. You know, to the question of did my speaking up make a difference? And what I'd wanted to write about in the Times was not, you know, some uh, settle the score thing with Mike Pompeo. Again, that's not at all where I come from. I think the journalism stands on its own. But the whole controversy over that interview and his you know, calling me a liar and asking me to find Ukraine on an unmarked map had overshadowed what I actually had talked to him about, which was U.S. foreign policy in regard to Iran and Ukraine. And that month, January of 2020, um, NPR was the only news organization in the world. I was the only journalist to have interviewed the top diplomat of the United States in his capital in Washington and the top diplomat of Iran in his capital in Tehran in a month when our two countries had almost gone to war. And that felt worth reflecting on. And I wanted to write about it. Um, did it make a difference? And, you know, do I think, uh, you know, Mike Pompeo um, rethought the interview or his reaction? I suspect not. I have no idea. Uh, I know that he never apologized to Marie Ivanovich, which was one of the questions I asked him. She was the ousted U.S. ambassador to Ukraine who was busy testifying in the Senate impeachment trial against then-President Trump at the moment that I was questioning Pompeo. Um you know, as we know, the Trump administration, um, Mike Pompeo and his boss, Donald Trump, um, ended the year 2020 with a more distance from fact-based reality um, than they had seen in the year. And then we got to uh, January 6th and the insurrection at the Capitol, and Mike Pompeo stood by Donald Trump in the days that followed and all of the questions that have arisen from that. So did it make a difference on a certain level? No. But I have always loved advice from my colleague, Peter Sagal, the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me in Chicago, who says, if you have a bigger platform than other people, you should use your platform to help those other people. And through my role at NPR, I have a bigger platform than most people. And 
I thought it was worth speaking out and giving a factual account of what had happened in my interview with Pompeo and what I thought the takeaways were. And you never quite know, you know, does that register with anyone? But I will share one tiny moment that meant a lot to me, which was that week of the interview with Pompeo toward the end of that week. Uh, I was on air and um, closing out the day in the studio at All Things Considered. And it had been a long day towards the end of a long week. And one of our younger producers wandered into the studio and said, do you have a minute? Could I speak to you? And I said, of course. And I thought, oh, Lord, what now? And um, he looked at me and then he kind of waved in the direction of the newsroom beyond the studio and said this, the journalism we have done this week, this is what I came to this profession to do. And I was so touched and thought, yeah, like this is what we came to do. We came to put questions, tough questions, to people in positions of power in the service of holding them to account. And we got to do that this week. And I got to broadcast it and I got to write about it. And this is what we came to do. And then this young producer said, okay, who are we interviewing next week? <laughs> and I thought, I don't know, I'm going to have to go sleep on that one. <laughs> but you know what? This is what we came to do. And that moment of solidarity um, you know, with a producer a couple of decades younger than me and remembering what the purpose of it all is. Um, I don't know if I would have had that if I hadn't, you know, decided to write an op-ed and, and shared my experience of that interview. There are so many things from your book that resonated with me, you know, how, how unseen a woman of 50 can suddenly feel. Or, or like my daughters are in their mid-20s, and I feel like I just recently experienced what you were, are going through with your sons. But you, you wouldn't When you're go- walking down the street and yeah. someone does a double take and you realize <laughs> yeah. it's at your kid, not you. Yeah, yeah. but you, you, acknowledge that <laughs> your read- yeah, you acknowledge that your readers will be in different stages of their lives, and some might not even have children. What is your hope that readers will take away from your book? Well, thank you for that question. I think it's, you know, all I can write is my story. This is my story. These are my dilemmas. I, you know, obviously most people reading may not be parents or parents of high school seniors or parents wrestling with trying to balance, you know, a demanding job in journalism with all of that. It would be a pretty narrow audience if that's the only people to whom I was writing this for. Um, but I think we've all had moments where things we love come into conflict and you're trying to be true to one value and that puts you in conflict with something else. And there is no answer to that. I certainly don't have an answer to that. There's no answer to that in the pages of this book, but being intentional about how we reckon with it and really thoughtful about you know, what it is that matters. And when you make a difficult choice and you're trying to figure out there's no great answer to this, there's no perfect solution, but what decision could I defend to a child? What decision could I defend to my 80-year-old self? I thought a lot about those things and tried to record them in the book in a way that might resonate with anyone who's you know, got things in their life pulling them at a different direction and finding themselves at an inflection point in their own life and thinking, okay, what now? What next? The book is It Goes So Fast, The Year of No Do-Overs. Mary Louise Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Beth, thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. That was Mary Louise Kelly, author of the book It Goes So Fast, The Year of No Do-Overs, which was published by Henry Holt & Company. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. 
Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.